Go Be Great, episode 25, presented to you by Heart of Sports. Mike Contento giving you the action, folks. I'm fired up. Um, quarter of a century mark on the GBG episode, so I'm excited about that because I feel like it's a little bit of a milestone. Um, it's going to be an NFL-only episode, like I said uh, last episode. Just going to cover Super Wild Card Weekend and going to look forward to the divisional round. Um, it was a pretty good weekend of football, I feel like, uh, from the NFL standpoint. I think they gave you, uh, you know, pretty much every game was good, um, except for the last one. You know, even though the, the Hawks and the Niners ended up being an 18-point uh, victory for the 49ers, that game was close for two and a half quarters. Um, you know, the Chargers, obviously that game started out being pretty bad, but then an epic collapse by one team, an epic comeback by the other. Dolphins with a surprise against the Bills, keeping it close. Giants and Vikings was pretty back and forth the whole way. Um, same thing with the Ravens and the Bengals, which was a surprise. Um, just the only team that didn't show up was the Buccaneers. Um, a lot of people thought that the Buccaneers weren't that good all season. And I think a lot of people, including myself, just kind of got caught up with the Tom Brady in the playoffs against a team that frequently chokes in the playoffs um, and maybe got a little bit carried away. So we're going to recap those games that happened between Saturday and Monday last weekend and look forward to the games that will happen on Saturday and Sunday of this weekend. And we'll start it off with the first one, which was Saturday at 4.30, Seahawks and 49ers. Um, I think, you know, if you're going to look at this from the losing team's aspect, which is the Seahawks, this was a great season for the Seahawks. You know, no one expected them to be, you know, anywhere near uh, the playoffs this season, you know, trading away Russell Wilson in the offseason last year, not really sure who the starter was going to be, whether it be Geno or uh, Brock, uh, not Brock Purdy, geez, um, Drew Locke, who they traded for. Um, so you didn't really know, you know, how they were going to be looking. You had to figure not particularly great. Um, but what ensued after, you know, you know, you had Geno Smith playing well, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett had another great season and especially DK Metcalf, man, because I think of the two receivers that they have you'd probably say dk is more of the alpha receiver and i think the key to having a great receiver like that of course is always having a number two that can you know take some attention away from the number one and tyler lockett is about as good of a number two i feel like you'll get in the nfl so those two receivers had a great season um so now you have the Broncos pick, which is number five. You also have their second round pick, which is number 38. So a good chance for some late first round talent there in the early second round. And the Seahawks have shown that they are a good team in the draft. They literally just this past season had three players from their draft class come in and play big roles. They had Charles Cross, their first round left tackle. I believe Cross was from Mississippi State. Um, and he had a great season. You had Kenneth Walker, the Michigan State running back, who came in and was great, and then Tariq Woolen, a corner who will probably win the Rookie of the Year on the NFC side 
um, and would be considered the number one rookie corner if it wasn't for one Sauce Gardner. So um, they've shown that they can draft. They have some good spots to do it this season with 5, 20, and 38. Um, and no one expected you to, to get to the playoffs. And I think once you did get to the playoffs, no one expected you to win. You showed some fight, and that's all you could hope for. Like I said, DK Metcalf was an absolute beast in this game. Anytime there was, you know, just a slight inch of separation, Gino was firing that ball in there, and Metcalf ended up with 10 catches for 135, two touchdowns. Um, guy's a beast. Really loved him coming out of Ole Miss a couple seasons ago. Was even trying to Photoshop a Jets jersey onto um, the Ole Miss 14 for him because I, I was, you know, that was before Garrett Wilson or Elijah Moore and really didn't have many good wide receivers for the Jets for a couple seasons in a row. So um, absolute beast, love the player, and glad that he got to show out uh, in the playoffs. On the other side of things, the 49ers kind of, you know, did what we expected them to do. Um, I know that the first half was maybe a bit closer than people thought. Um, they went into the half uh, tied. But the Niners came out. Um, oh, no, excuse me, not tied. 17-16 at half because the Niners were up 16-14, and then there was a big penalty on Geno at the end of the half, moving the Seahawks into field goal formation. But 49ers came out. They had a long touchdown drive. Uh, the Hawks were answering it, but unfortunately, Geno Smith fumbled. Um, and then another touchdown was scored by the 49ers. And once they scored that touchdown and got another stop, the game is pretty much sealed. Um, and so they move on to play the Cowboys uh, next Sunday at 6.30. Um, Brock Purdy finished the game with 18 completions on 30 attempts for 322 yards, three touchdowns. He also had a rushing touchdown at the end of that uh, first second half drive. Um, so he's looking pretty good. You know, I, I think the biggest thing, the biggest talking point Tuesday morning, which was earlier this morning um, on the, the main shows seemed to be like, who are the best quarterbacks left? And everybody has Purdy at eight. But I mean, if the, if you're telling me that the eighth best player is going to go eight for 18 for 30 with 322, three touchdowns, a rushing touchdown, and no interceptions. I'll sign up for number eight. Um, so Purdy, from Mr. Irrelevant to pretty relevant on the 49ers, he has not lost a game yet since he has become the starter. Um, and he's not looking to do it anytime soon. He's looking to you know, be undefeated, hoist that trophy up, and make the 49ers – decision in the offseason a lot harder in terms of what to do with that quarterback spot so he's been balling out um and the Niners overall team has not lost a step since Jimmy G's injury like I suspected that it wouldn't um and we'll move on to game number two which was Chargers Jaguars um the Chargers with an epic collapse they were up as many as 27 to zero um, Trevor had four half, four first half interceptions. And one thing about Trevor, which I don't know if this is something that has happened since he's been in the NFL, or maybe it's something I never noticed in college, but I feel like for a really tall quarterback and I think Trevor is about six, six, 
he gets the ball batted down a lot. I think the first pick um, of the game for him was tapped at the line and then batted up, you know, popped up and caught by by one of the Chargers uh, defensive backs. Um, so I don't know if that's something he has to fix, me fix mechanically, you know, whatever it is. Uh, just seems interesting to me that the guy gets the ball batted at the line a lot for being that tall. Um, another move that it was early on, you know, Trevor threw the pick, Austin Eckler scored, and now it was 7 nothing, and the Jaguars were moving the ball pretty well. And I think this was a, a pivotal moment for the Chargers gaining momentum early in the game. The Jaguars go for it on 4th and 7 from about the 30-yard line uh, instead of taking their field goal. And it just seemed like they were rushing it. You know, it's Trevor's first time in a playoff game in the NFL. And I'm not saying he hasn't played in big games before, but the NFL is a little bit different. Um, you know, looks like the snap was rushed. Didn't get the, you know, a good play call and whatever it was. I didn't think that was the right move. Um, and I think they lost a lot of momentum early on because of that call, not because of Trevor throwing picks. So, um, like I said, he ends with four first half interceptions. The char it was all Chargers. They were up twenty seven to zero before the Jaguars put together a touchdown drive to end the half on a uh, seam route to Evan Ingram. So um, twenty seven seven at the half, and just you know, I I know that I I trashed the Chargers uh, on the um the episode before this on the preview episode, but you know, Brandon Staley has proven that he cannot handle a lead and that he has made questionable decisions before. So I think an important part of coming back in the NFL is that, especially if it's after halftime is that going into the half, the team has to have some sort of momentum moving forward, because I think if there's no momentum looking forward to the second half and then you're just sitting down like it's tough to come back out and play well but that touchdown to end the half for the Jags I think was pretty big um and you know I felt like there was a good chance the Jags would come back I think it was still more of the Chargers blowing the game than the Jaguars coming back but nonetheless I think both teams contributed to the way that this one ended um I think that this kind of should help the Jaguars in the next game because if they go down against the Chiefs by any amount, they have to feel like they can come back against that too. Um, and for the Chargers, I don't know how Staley's not fired. I feel like there's been too much of this guy not looking great in big moments because the Chargers play every Sunday night, it feels like, um, that, you know, they fired the OC, which I think they passed a, a lot um, down the stretch instead of running it. But um, so the Chargers are out. The Jaguars play the Chiefs uh, at 430 on Saturday in Arrowhead. That should be a really great game. Um, I'm excited for that one. And Trevor Lawrence gets his first win. He had four picks in the first half, but he had – uh, three passing touchdowns in the second half, um, and they were able to pull off the comeback. You know, a big fourth down and one call on a traditional um, 
split back formation. I think I saw on TikTok today that uh they ran something similar in the game early on in the season where I think the Jaguars blew out the Chargers 38-10. Um they used that same play where they saw at the corner was not too good and that was Asante Samuel who actually had three picks in the game that his weakness is containing the edge in that formation. Um, and so they ran it. They got a lot of yards. They got themselves into an easy field goal spot. And the kicker barely just makes it to end the game with a winner. Um, and so we move on to Sunday. Because I think after those two games, like you, you expected uh, Sunday to be pretty good. But the game that if you would have picked to not be that great, uh you would have picked the Dolphins and the Bills, and that was not the case. It did start out all Bills. They scored 17 points on their first three drives, but um, I think, you know, I, I have on my the top of my list here, Bills started to route them, but maybe they got complacent. I don't even know if I believe the complacency part. Um, I'm sure that when it was 17 nothing, like, I'm sure that some of the players thought, all right, we're like, we're going to blow this team out. Like they have the third string quarterback, but the Dolphins kept fighting. They kicked two field goals. Then uh, they had a big punt return that set up a third field goal. So now it's 17, nine. It's right before the half. Josh Allen tries to fit it into tight coverage against uh, the Dolphins with Cole Beasley as a receiver. It pops up. It's picked off. They score. And now the game's tied right before half, uh, but the Bills did get a field goal. So it's 20-17 to 17 into the half. They get a sack fumble touchdown to make it 24-20, but uh, two straight touchdowns for the Bills makes it 34-24. And once again, I thought at this point that the Dolphins would lay down and get blown out the rest of the game, but they did not. They scored. Um, they had some stops back and forth with the Bills the rest of the way, um, but unfortunately couldn't get it done, and they lose 34-31. Um, listen, I don't think that the Bills can win the Super Bowl this way. Like, They're a really damn good team. I think Josh Allen is the second best player at the position besides number 15 on Kansas City, like he's, first of all, a physical specimen. He's tough to bring down if he decides to run. It's tough to game plan that offense because there's not only Stephon Diggs, but they have a good tight end. They have good other receivers. It's a tough team, but they can't run the ball. I think it's pretty simple. They tried to throw it and keep throwing it and keep throwing it against the Dolphins, and eventually there was, you know, some stops, a pick, a fumble, whatever it was. And if you're going to be turning it over in these playoff games, eventually you're going to lose playing this type of game. So they lost, I mean, they beat the Dolphins, but only by three. I think if they play this way again, they'll have a tough time beating the Bengals, even though the game's in Buffalo this week. Um, The defense, I mean, listen, they gave up 24 to Skylar Thompson. I don't think... That bodes well for them going into next week. But also, you could look at that, at it as maybe this is a little bit of a wake-up call for the Bills' defense and that they start to you know really lock it down the next couple of games and 
on their way to a Super Bowl, but I'm going to go on the other side. I think, like I said, more of it has to do with the fact that there's no running game, and that has nothing to do with Josh Allen. That's just, you know, simply not his fault. Like, the, the team is what they are. The running backs are who they are. Like, at the end of the day, you got what you got at this point, and they're going to try to fight through it in this game versus the Bengals, but um, I I can't imagine if they come out with a game similar to this one that they are on the winning side of things. So um, 4.30 was the game that we were all looking forward to, I think, especially if you are a Giants fan specifically, but even if you're just in New York or the area because everybody has kind of rallied around this Giants team. I think they have a really fun underdog vibe to them. I think everybody really likes Brian Dable and uh, you know it helps that they're winning but um I think like I you know the story has been all year nobody expected this team to do anything in terms of being in the playoff picture but they started out hot they were able to make the way, their way into the playoffs and now they have a win as they go into Minnesota and beat the Vikings 31-24 um the Vikings I think they kind of are who we, th- we thought they were. Like, you know, they came out with their opening drive touchdown like they have pretty much in every game all season. Um, but after that, their offense didn't look great. Like, you know, there was – they definitely moved it. They still scored 24 points. But um, the Giants were able to keep Justin Jefferson to seven catches for 47 yards. That was a big reason for the win. Um they were able to get enough pressure on Kirk to really, you know, make it hard on him. They were able to cover enough to get some stops. And then on the offensive side of the ball, um, not, not that I haven't been locked into the last month of the season, but like I said on the lap, last episode, I had a lot going on with my family. Then it was Christmas. Then it was New Year's. Like, I haven't been as locked into the NFL as I normally would be at this time. And so maybe it's because I forgot how the Giants looked early on in the year, but Daniel Jones looked legit, man. Like there's no more game manager doing what the coach asked him to do and executing it. No, no, no. My man was getting onto his back foot. He was decisive. He has a rocket arm, which maybe I didn't realize that earlier in the season or before either. I think everybody knew he could run, and in this game, he carried the ball 17 times, which is probably on the higher side um, if they're going to try to like sustain this the rest of the season because I think on some of those drives where he got a couple carries in a row, like you could see him gasping for air, but um, the Giants did what they had to do, man. They went in there. They, you know, like I said, Minnesota – opens up with a touchdown on their drive. Giants came right back, touchdown. Then they get a stop. Then they get another touchdown. All of a sudden, it's 14-7. It's like, whoa, this is, you know, if we thought that the Giants would play close and win, but it wasn't going to be, you know, this way. And then they get another stop, and they're going down the field. And I kind of thought that if the Giants scored and made it 21-7, that the Vikings were done, like, and what happened instead is they got the goal line stop and made them kick the field goal. It was 17-7. And then right before the half, Vikings scored again to make it 17-14. So instead of what I thought would happen, which 
was the Giants starting to like blow them out in the second half. It kind of set up for a back and forth second half, which is exactly what we got. Giants opened it up with a touchdown, but the Vikings matched it. Then they were trading stops back and forth. Uh, when it was 24-21, the Vikings were driving. They had converted what they thought was a fourth and one, but instead, false start, beep, beep, beep. They kick a field goal to tie it up. Um, at 24-24, and I wanted to bring this player up earlier, but I think this play specifically is kind of like the the icing on the cake, especially when you look at how the rest of the game finished. Isaiah Hodgins, this kid got signed, I think, like a month ago. He has been a dog for the Giants and a receiving group that was lo- like, you know, last month they were looking for help. You know, Richie James can't catch the ball if it's on the 8-0. Uh, Kenny Galladay hasn't gotten any burn all season. You know, Darius Slayton's all right. Shepard was hurt early in the season. They didn't really have a receiver, like a number one receiver. And this guy has emerged as that that guy. He has eight catches for 105 in this game and a touchdown. This play on the sideline, it's 24-24, second and 10, fourth quarter. Daniel Jones is out of the pocket left. And Hodgins makes a contested catch on the sideline. Clutch as hell. They go down and finish with a touchdown by Saquon Barkley. Um, And then they get a stop. The Giants would have actually iced the game without having to give it back to the Vikings again. But Slayton dropped the ball. Or, yeah, no, it was Darius Slayton. Slayton dropped the ball on third and 16. He would have ran forever, at least for a first down. Um. And they got the ball back to the Vikings with like 150 left. But like I was saying earlier, they just get enough coverage from their players downfield. And I'm sure it helped out having a Dory Jackson and Xavier McKinney back in the secondary. They got enough pressure from Kayvon Thibodeau, uh, Dexter Lawrence, and the boys up front, Leonard Williams as well, a former Jet. So um, they got it done. They beat Minnesota and now, they will face up with the Eagles Saturday at the link, 8-15. What a shit show that game could be because two of the craziest fan bases we have in the NFL and really in all of sports will wake up on Saturday at whatever time they please and start drinking, and they will be at least nine hours of drinking into their day before that football game starts. God bless to the security forces at the link and anywhere around the link because that place will be a madhouse on Saturday. Um, And it should be a great game. Um, Hodgins, like I said, eight catches, 105 and a touchdown. Saquon had 14 total touches for 109 yards and two touchdowns. Jones looking legit, man. There's only a couple of quarterbacks, I think, at this point. And I think the quarterback conversation is becoming pretty clear that it's also a quarterback and coach conversation, but I don't know. You know, I would take the three big three, you know, the big three in the AFC of Burrow, Allen, and Mahomes before Daniel Jones. Uh, Then I'd take Jalen Hurts as well. 
after that, I don't know how you could look at any other young quarterback in this league and say that you would take that player over Daniel Jones right now. That's how good he looked as a passer on Saturday, on Sunday night against the Vikings. I know that the Eagles defense will be a little bit better than that Vikings defense, but you can be sure that the Giants will come prepared. They will come believing that they will win the game and they will have good execution on both sides of the ball. I also feel like if there's one team that you want to look for for a trick play up their sleeve on Saturday, it's going to be the Giants, um, especially because I think Saquon can really throw the ball. So maybe a toss pass of some sort with Saquon, maybe a jump pass, who knows. But I feel like the Giants are my choice for a trick play touchdown. Um, and I'm excited to see them play this game on Sun. Uh, excuse me, on Saturday. So, uh, next game after them was Ravens Bengals, a game that I think everyone thought the Bengals were gonna blow the Ravens out of the water with, and uh, they started out on, you know, a field goal and a touchdown early in the second quarter. That I, you know, kind of think I personally thought the route was gonna start to be on, but. No, the Ravens scored a touchdown in the middle of the second quarter, and then they kicked a field goal before the end of the half to go into the half with a lead, t- ten to nine. So, um, you know, overall, something that I did not think was going to happen, which was the Ravens really getting to move the ball at all with Tyler Huntley at QB. Not only did they do that, they really kept this game close, folks. Um, the Bengals came out and scored in the third quarter to make it 17 to 10, but the Ravens go down the field. They score their own touchdown. All of a sudden, 17, 17. Now the Ravens go down again. They're at the two yard line and Tyler Huntley tries to reach the ball out on the QB sneak. It gets batted out. Sam Hubbard catches it and goes 98 yards the other way for a touchdown. It's a 14 point swing. It was the last touchdown of the game. And the Bengals won 24-17, um, escaping a pretty close scare against their division rival. Um, you know, like I said, it's a game I didn't expect to have that happen. But anytime that a team plays each other three times in an NFL season, it's always going to be pretty close. Like, I know that the Ravens were on their backup, but, you know, I think it just goes to show you that in the NFL, there's not a totally big difference between the teams that we think are these really good Super Bowl contending teams and these teams that are just very good like the Ravens. Um, obviously, there's difference at you know the bigger, more important positions like corner, defensive line, quarterback. Uh, but the rest of the team, you know, clearly not as big as this game was really close. The Bengals were you know, close to losing the lead on that play uh, with the the 98-yard defensive end touchdown. And then on the last play of the game, like the the Hail Mary gets tipped and James Prochet, the Ravens receiver, probably should catch that ball. So really close game, not one I was expecting. Bodes well for the Giants against the Eagles because, like I said, divisional opponents, um, third game of the season, Got to figure it's going to be a close one. Um, And then last but not least, Monday night with Troy and Joe, they got a snoozer. 
Cowboys flattened the Bucks. I think the score was 31-6. I honestly don't even know because I turned it off. I think the real story besides Brett Maher going 0-4 on his first four field goal attempts was that, um, you know, this was a game that I think people expected to be close. And then when it wasn't, you know, the Tom Brady conversation started up pretty early, I think in the middle of the game, honestly. Um, I don't think he's done. I think the the Buccaneers, I think he's done with the Buccaneers. I think the Buccaneers can't run the ball. Um, I think there's a lot of old players on that team, you know, even though they're all still pretty good in terms of Mike Evans, Julio Jones, Leonard Fournette, but they're still old. I think the line lost some players to retirement um, in Marpet and somebody else. And then Jensen was hurt for the whole season and just came back for the playoffs. So there was a lot of stuff going on with the Bucks on the field, off the field. Tom Brady was having a lot of stuff happening with his marriage and his family. So I just feel like because there was so much going on with this guy, it makes sense as to why he didn't have as great of a season. And then when you look at it, the statistics will show you that he still was really fine. So his arm looks a little bit worse. I'll give, I'll give you all that. His arm definitely doesn't look as good as it has before. Um, but I think he just needs a better situation, um, more of a team that can run the ball like a 49ers or the Dolphins specifically. Those two, I feel like, would be pretty good fits for, for Tom Brady. Um, and, I, yeah, I just don't think he's done. I think he's still very competitive. I think he's upset that they didn't win and that they went out like that. Um I think his arm definitely needs some time off. Like I, if I was him, I'd go, I'd enjoy whatever warm tropical weather he wants with his family, his kids, whoever he still got around him. Maybe if it's even just some friends, um, I would go get some yoga in, you know, make the body feel good, take some time off with the arm and then let teams know what you want to do. Because, you know, if you're leaving some front office is going to have to figure out how he can get, you there and get the team better in other aspects to try to go win a Super Bowl. Because at the end of the day, the Tom Brady at quarterback move equals win now. So I don't think he's done. Uh, the Cowboys, thanks for coming. You did what you were supposed to do against the Bucks. You'll have a much harder opponent on Sunday night against the 49ers in San Francisco. Um, and that game's on Fox. So I guess we'll do the picks. I went three and three as I had the C. Excuse me, I had the 49ers who covered. I had the Jaguars who won money line and covered the two and a half. Giants, same thing. But I also had the Bills and the Bengals who did not cover but did win. Um, and then the Buccaneers who that game actually ended 31 14. Like I said, I kind of tuned that one out late in the third. Um, Cowboys 31, Bucks 14, and I had the Bucks plus two and a half. So three and three. Um, and we'll do the picks for this week. So both number one seeds play on Saturday. Um, and number one at 430 will be Jaguars and Chiefs. Now, interesting tidbit on the AFC playoffs. 
Should the Chiefs and the Bills be the final two teams remaining? Um, that game will be played in Atlanta, which would be pretty cool. Um, at, in a neutral site game because the Bills lost their chance to win the number one seed when the game was suspended after DeMar Hamlin's cardiac arrest. Um, and I think that would be a very anticipated game just between those two teams. Then you add in the fact that it'll be played at a different stadium. I think there'll be some lure to that game. So just in, just, just to keep in mind um, that if you think that the two teams that will win are the Chiefs and the Bills, that that is what you will get. So 4.30, Chiefs, Jaguars. Uh, this game, I believe, will be Mike Tirico and Chris Collinsworth on NBC. Um, the Chiefs are eight-and-a-half-point favorites. I'm going to go with the Jaguars. Um, these two teams played back on November 13th. It was a 27-17 to Chiefs victory. Um, I know I've been mentioning how hard it is to uh, play a team three times, but it's also hard to play a team just two times if you're matchup was early on or it was later in the season because then it has the same feel of being a divisional matchup so the Chiefs took the first matchup it was kind of a snoozer 27-10 and then the Chiefs I mean the Jaguars scored a fourth quarter touchdown but I think there's something to be said about coming back from 27 down I think um, Doug Peterson is one of the best coaches in the NFL, and he's kind of showing you why in terms of not only just having this Jaguars team there after there's been years of losing and incompetence in Jacksonville, um, also just in that game specifically where the quarterback throws four uh, first-half picks. I, I just like them to cover the eight-and-a-half. I don't know if they can really win the game, but I really feel like you've seen almost every game be close in these playoffs so far, except for last night's game against, you know, between the Bucks and the Cowboys. Um, I think the Chiefs maybe like a 27-20 victory over the Jaguars, who I will take to cover the eight and a half. A15, I feel like maybe it's just me personally, but this is the best game of the entire weekend. Um, I know that the Bengals and the Bills is also a really good game. And really, every game is a good game. Um, but I think a lot of New York people just hate the Eagles, hate Philadelphia. Even if you're not a Giants fan, you're going to get behind this game. Like I mentioned, two crazy cities who will have all day to party before this one. It's going to be really exciting. The Eagles have beaten the, uh, the Giants twice, 48-22. On December 4th here at MetLife. Um, and then 22-16, the Eagles played their starters. The Giants played the backups um, because the Eagles needed to get the one seed, but the Giants couldn't go higher than the six. Jalen Hurts is off the injury report. Daniel Jones carried the ball 17 times in the last game, did whatever he had to do. I'm going to take the Giants, folks. They have that feel of an underdog team that can take down whoever the hell's in front of them. I like the fact that the Eagles won both matchups in the regular season, to be completely honest with you. Um, 
one prop that I would look at in this ball game, and honestly, I feel like I should say it, even if you know if I mush it, it's good for Giants fans because that means that it didn't happen, and if I didn't, then that means someone out there hopefully had it for their wager and is a winner. Boston Scott. Boston Scott, anytime touchdown, I think he scored 17 touchdowns in his career, and 10 of them are against the Giants. Every year it happens. It happened this year already. Um, hey, you never know. Backup running back comes in near the two, near the one, not thinking they're going to run it. Then all of a sudden there's five foot seven Boston Scott finding his way through the hole for an early touchdown. I like it. Um, like I said, 10 times he has scored against the Giants out of 17 total. Um, but I really like the Giants plus seven and a half. I think they are going to win the game. Um, they Listen, they need to cover A.J. Brown. It's, but they already have a game where they came off of preparing to face Justin Jefferson, and they were able to do that. Now, I will say that the other options for the Eagles in terms of throwing the ball are better than the other options than the Vikings had. Um, you know, they just let up 105 yards to Hawkinson. They're going to let up a lot of yards, I'm sure, to Goddard. But like I said, there's familiarity here in these in this matchup. The Giants are coming off of a big victory. They have been the dog already once before, went into someone else's house and won the, the game. Now it's against a divisional opponent. There's no need to get themselves more excited than like there's there's nothing that there's no bulletin board material. Like this is this is what you live for. You live for being on one of these teams. You're getting to play your divisional opponent who you haven't beat this season or in a meaningful game in years. And now you're going into their house. You're one win away from an NFC championship birth. Um, like I said, it's going to take a lot of good execution from the Giants on offense because I feel like that's kind of the key to the game. Like not only just scoring the ball, but taking time off the clock, shortening the amount of time that Jalen Hurts touches the ball, um, not letting him get into a rhythm. And all that can be done by taking longer, more methodical drives on offense that end in touchdowns if you're the Giants offense. So Brian Dable has had plenty of games that he's had to prepare for a big offensive performance before and almost every time his team has come out and done what has needed to be done for a victory or to put themselves in good spot for a victory so you know that that game plan will be ready to go and keeping that team with a good chance to victory um daniel jones if there's one thing that you should probably be a little bit more careful against his team it's the fumbles i know he hasn't fumbled in a while and the problem has really gotten a lot better this year, but this Eagles front seven's no joke. So hold on to the ball, Danny Dimes, and let's see a close game. So I have both underdogs on Saturday. That's the Jaguars plus eight and a half right now, and the Eagles, I mean, excuse me, the Giants plus seven and a half right now in Philadelphia against the Eagles. Sunday has two closer spreads. Um, first, it's the Bengals and the Bills. These two teams were supposed to play uh from you know when sunday is 21 days before 
or 20 days before, excuse me, on Monday Night Football, but DeMar Hamlin went into cardiac arrest in the first quarter, and the game was canceled. So these two teams scheduled to play once again. Uh, the Bengals are five-point dogs to the Bills. I'm going to take the Bengals plus five. Uh, I know that the game against the Ravens was a bit closer than it was supposed to, but I'm going to liken that all up to divisional matchup. Um on the other hand, like I said with the Bills, they can't run the ball, and that kind of scares me. The Bengals' pass rush should do a decent job in terms of, even if they don't get pressure on Josh Allen, I feel like they'll do a good job of containing him. Um, and the Bengals, listen, they're a hot team. They, once again, are kind of slotted into still that, like, they're just not in the same level of the Bengal of the Bills or the Chiefs. I think they feel that underdog mentality. Um, if there's, you know, if you're asking me which quarterback I'd rather, even though I know which one is more talented, I'd rather have Joe Burrow. Um, he's played in so many big games already in his career, and he has excelled in every single one of them. Um, I really like the Bengals to win this game, so I'm sure that the money line's up at like the 170 or 80 mark with it being a five-point spread. Um, I think the Bills minus five is just a big overreaction. Like, they should have beaten the Dolphins by more than that, and they did not. I think that kind of sets a red flag off for me, and I like the Bengals plus five. Um, we'll see. I, I, I think that's going to be a great game, though. Final game, 49ers and Cowboys. The 49ers are a four-point favorite at home, 6.30 on Fox. Um, I'm going to go 49ers minus four. Now, the Cowboys played Monday, and the 49ers played Saturday. So the 49ers will not only be the home team, but they'll have two full days of preparation more than the Cowboys. Um, and I think that could be... A big difference in this game. Then you factor in that the Cowboys are perennial chokers. The 49ers, I think, have the best team in the NFL. Um, and that the Cowboys overall are going to be up against it. Like, I don't think that the 49ers are going to allow the Cowboys to run up and down on them. And the 49ers just have to really lock up CeeDee Lamb and Dalton Schultz in the passing game. And they can shut that down, too. So I think that this will be a really tough game for the Cowboys on offense. I can envision like a 49ers uh, 27, Cowboys 7 type game or 24-7 or something crazy where the 49ers defense really takes a big step up. Um, Maybe I'm underestimating Dak Prescott and the Cowboys, but I just... You know, they they did win, and I didn't think they'd win last week. But that was a, a bit different of an animal um, between the Buccaneers and the 49ers. Brock Purdy hasn't lost, so no need to try to, you know, take the Cowboys as like a hot or a cool pick. Um, I, I really do think... 
the 49ers run defense is going to be taking away the Tony Pollard aspect of things. I think Zeke will get a couple carries and not really go anywhere. And then it comes down to the passing defense. Can you stop Dalton Schultz and CeeDee Lamb? I think the answer is yes. And on the other side for the Cowboys defense, it's just too much, man. It's just too much. The 49ers offense with interchangeable parts between Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle, uh, Kyle Juszczyk, Brandon Ayuk, whoever they put out there succeeds. They're always in a great scheme, great game plan, great, you know, just they always execute well. I, I've been saying since before Jimmy G got hurt and after Jimmy G got hurt that I like the 49ers to make the Super Bowl. I'm not backing off of it now. I've got 49ers minus four. So that'll conclude today's episode number 25. I want to thank you guys all for tuning in. I don't know if I said it earlier, but I thought that it would be a pretty quick episode because it was only going to be looking back at Super at Super Wild Card Weekend and looking forward to the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. So I think I got in at about 45 minutes. I'm honestly pretty hyped up about that because I know that I've been in the internal battle of making it shorter for you guys. So more people will want to tune in. Um, And so here we go. There's one for you, right? So I hope you guys enjoy this weekend of games. Uh, Like I said, Saturday, I'm sure will be crazy if you get up uh, and don't have work on Saturday. I'm sure it's going to be a great day. And that's in anticipation of that ball game at 815. Um, and then Sunday, as always, you know, late start with 3 p.m. and 6.30, but that is in preparation of next week's championship round. Um, and so it's crazy to think, but here we are uh, with just six NFL or seven NFL games remaining. You have four this weekend. You have two next weekend. And then the big dance, February 13th in Phoenix. Um, I'm excited. Rihanna will be there. I'll be on a seat somewhere in New Jersey getting fired up. Um, and I just can't wait. I also can't wait to bring you guys next week's episode when I will be looking back at these four games um, for the divisional round. And I will be looking ahead to the championship round, which I personally hope does not feature the game in Atlanta between the Chiefs and the Bills. I'm hoping that it'll be Chiefs Bengals because that was a great game last year. And then Giants 49ers. And once the Giants get there, I mean, if they do get there, whoever gets there against what I think will be the 49ers, I think it'll be a tough game, but I think that it'll be a good game nonetheless. So I'm excited. Like I said, I feel like there's only good matchups remaining. There's not going to be any crazy blowouts that we want to turn off the games for. So hope you guys all enjoy it. I hope you guys enjoyed hearing me talk about what has happened and what's to come next in this NFL season. Um, And go be great, folks. Have a good one.